As we finish our season of Advent, this is week four. We've been looking at the carol angels from the realms of glory. And it's the carol writers or the poets, the hymn writers that can tell the story of scripture for us in their own artistic and unique way. So as we've kind of been approaching this Christmas, the manger, this carol writer includes some of the familiar characters, the angels from the realms of glory who wing their flight over all the earth. Ye who sang creation's story now proclaim Messiah's birth. Then they add the shepherds who are in their fields abiding, watching o'er their flocks at night. God with us is now residing in yonder shines the infant light. Then they add the wise men. Sages, leave your contemplations. Brighter visions, beam afar. Seek the great desire of nations. Ye have seen his natal star. And then there's this interesting final verse. See, a lot of hymn writers will like to talk about, you know, if it's the public ministry of Jesus or some certain theological concept. But a lot of hymn writers will reserve the final verse for a what we call eschatological moment a end of all things moment. So here we see a carol, a Christmas carol. Now we would understand this because some of our favorite hymns have at the very last verse, this moment where it points to Christ's coming or just the end of all things. You remember the hymn, it is well with my soul and Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight. Or how great thou art, when Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. You know, so we, we've kind of gotten used to this, but a Christmas carol? Really? When they say saints before the altar bending, watching long with hope and fear, suddenly the Lord descending in his temple shall draw near. Now, this Christmas carol was written kind of like, you know, in the late 1800s. And um, what's fascinating is that the writer knew that there really isn't a temple left. You know, the temple was kind of overturned, even as Jesus predicted. So what temple is this carol writer talking about? See, if we're going to talk about a temple at the end of all things, it might also be good to talk about the temple at the very beginning. Would you pray with me? Lord, come, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening, and all of God's children can say, amen. Christmas doesn't begin in the manger. It begins in the temple. Last week, we talked about how Matthew wants to show the contrast between King Herod and the true king, not born in a palace, but born in a manger. Now, if we're going to read Luke's gospel, and we'll do this later this week, we're going to read Luke chapter 2. It's the Christmas story, right? In those days, Caesar Augustus, and here we go. It starts off Christmas Eve, and we're going to hear about Joseph and Mary, and then all about the angel and the shepherds and all of those things. But Luke probably assumes, I mean, like most writers, that if you're going to read a little bit of Mary's story, you would have heard about Zechariah. Now, we probably all know who Mary is because of Christmas. Zechariah might not just be as familiar, except in Luke's story, 
That's who he wants to begin with. See, the different gospel writers have different audiences, of course. You know, we've talked before about Matthew, when he writes, is going to include a lot of Old Testament or Hebrew scripture references to show how Jesus is the promised Messiah. So he's writing to a primarily Jewish audience to talk to them about this connection of Jesus being the son of Abraham and the son of David. Mark's gospel is more concerned with like a Gentile audience, doesn't concern himself with as much Hebrew scripture references, but really includes now a Gentile audience when Jesus interacts with a lot of Gentiles to show how Jesus is also the light for the Gentiles. John's gospel, in the beginning was the word, right? Is very poetic and uses symbols and signs Right? That will go from the beginning of his story, tracking all the way through. It's kind of, you know, the writer's gospel. It's just filled with great imagery and, and beautiful writing. It's powerful, John's gospel, in the symbol and the signs. Luke's gospel, if I was going to describe that, would be, it's the gospel of nobodies. It's the gospel of nobodies. So, who is, who is Luke writing to? I think he's writing to the nobodies of our world. See, in Luke chapter 1, we hear about an angelic visit. Not Mary, that comes later, but to this guy, Zechariah, who is a priest that is going to do his priestly duty, which most believe would happen, right, at the, you know, one of a, one, one of a lifetime, once in a lifetime opportunity for him to go into the temple, into the special place to offer these special sacrifices and burning incense and do all that weird priestly stuff. So he's there, and then here comes the angelic visit. I want to look real quick at the comparisons of when the angel visited Zechariah and the angel visited Mary. Let's, let's take a look at that list there. There we go. All right, so the angel comes to both of Zechariah and Mary. Look at what's happening here. Both, obviously, are troubled. So then the angel has to say, don't fear. You see how this is tracking? Now, then the angel says, okay, let me explain to you why I've come to give you this announcement and you're freaking out. Calm down. There's a reason. There's a reason. All right, then. Now, you're going to have a kid. Hey, congratulations. You know? All right. Hey, and then both the angel wants to say, name the kid this. So in Zechariah's case, name your son John. That's who we call John the Baptist, by the way. He's going to be the forerunner, the one who goes to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, in Mary's case, spoiler, name him Jesus. Okay. Then the angel says, this child will be great. Now, John's greatness and Jesus's greatness are going to be a little bit different because Jesus is God, by the way, but they're both going to be great in their own respects. Let's keep going. Now, next slide. Oh, is it shutting down? Yeah, it's shutting down. There we go. All right. Anyway, let me just pull up the old Bible here. And all right, all right let me. It's better. It's cooler if you see it. So let me talk with you for a moment about Zachariah and Mary before we look at the end of their comparisons. What you need to understand about what Luke is doing here in this very first chapter of the Christmas story is showing, right, really how this world gets turned upside down with God. You see, when the angel comes to visit Zechariah, we would assume that that would be a somewhat normal thing. If God's going to make an announcement, doing it in the temple is probably an important or, you know, you know, we get that. It's the temple. 
An angel shows up to a priest in the temple. That makes total sense. We track right along with Zechariah to say, this kind of makes sense to us. And then when Mary is there, what Luke is doing with this concept of the temple, because Christmas doesn't begin in the manger, it begins in the temple, is showing how powerfully Mary, think about Mary for a moment. Think about the world in which she lived. Now, Mary wouldn't have been allowed in certain places of the temple. In the temple in Jesus' day, when he's born, there were certain restrictions. In fact, there was a gate. There was what they called a court of Gentiles. And so the Gentiles, which is me and you, by the way, would have been put in this own little court and said, you can kind of come near to the temple. You can kind of hang out at it, but you can't really like go in. You know, we're going to put a gate there. We're going to put a sign. And what's funny is that when Solomon prayed over the temple, his desire when he sort of commissioned and offered a prayer was that this, this temple, this house of God would be a house of all nations. And then what happens within most religion is, you know, God, God does this thing. And then what we do as people is we put up gates and signs for everybody. First century historian Josephus said that at the very gate of the court of the Gentiles was this warning to the Gentiles that says, look, you know, you can cross this barrier, but it's at your own risk. If you die, it's not on us. That's what they put. Gentiles, if you cross this gate, you might die. It's like, was that the first insurance waiver? So then they had, you know, obviously the court of you know, that Jewish people could go hang out in, right? And they had a, a court of women. Because, you know, guys, they could go, guys are a little holier? What? We, we know that ain't true. Um, they had a court of women. They said, ladies, you hang out here, but you can't go there. They had a court of men, and then they had all the, you know, holy of holies and some of these other things, right? But for me, it's one of those fascinating things that with Zechariah and with Mary is this powerful story of how verse by verse, word for word, the angel comes and to give them this message, this good news. And Mary wouldn't have even been allowed to go into the place where Zechariah was. It's a contrast because after the angelic message is given, they've got some questions. Mary says, how can this be since I am a virgin, right? And we, we know this part of the Christmas story, the whole virgin birth thing. It's kind of important, right? Now, what's fascinating, though, is that the question that Mary asks is very close to the question that Zachariah asks, but hers is more about a function and a contrast. You see, when Zechariah asked, he says, how can I be sure of this? Because I am very old, and my wife is well along in years. And by the way, that's good marital advice, guys. And if you're describing yourself, you can call yourself old. What do you call your wife? You call her well along in years. You don't call her old. I'm going to tell you that. Zachariah has given us some good advice. But the difference is, is I think not so much about the emphasis of, you know, the biology or anything. It's not a biological, it's, it's a theological, powerful miracle that's happening in the midst of this Christmas story. It's, it's to show the contrast as well of Zechariah in his question shows how old he is compared to Mary who says that she's a virgin. 
Now, that was a sign for people in Luke's day to say, how young is Mary? Pretty young. So young that she's a virgin. Because as soon as they could kind of get married off, they were getting married off. This is how young Mary is. Not only is she just this, you know, woman that wouldn't be allowed to go hang out where Zachariah was hanging out, but now she's really, really young. Just such a strong difference. But there's something about Zachariah's question where he wants to know, can I be sure of this? And the scripture that Pastor Scott read said, you know, I am Gabriel, bro. Be quiet. That's basically the sum up of the scripture, you know? Stop talking, dude. Be- here's, what, here's what happens. When we're tracking through Zechariah's message, when we're tracking through the angelic visit, vision, we assume that he's the person that should get it. He's the priest, after all. He's pretty old or well along in years. He's lived enough life in his relationship with God to be able to get some of these things. But again, Luke's gospel is a gospel of nobodies. So the priest in the temple hanging out with the angel that we think should get it, doesn't. And the angel says, you should be quiet for a while. And you should think about these things. And this is what happens. And then now here comes Mary's story. Now, If you read Mary's story, just after reading Zechariah's, you will see word for word, moment by moment, the exact same thing. Yet while Zechariah is muted, Mary is praised because she said yes. She said, I'm the Lord's servant. Mary goes on to sing a song. Zechariah, after a son is born and he's unmuted, you know, all these Zoom references today. Um, he then sings a song as well. Zechariah and Mary track right along with each other through the whole first chapter of Luke, the very beginning of Luke's story, to show the contrast, the powerful difference between a person that we think should get it and a person that wasn't even allowed in that does. Luke's story is about a story of nobodies. That's what we have to remember about. I mean, Mary's such a big deal for us at Christmas. We forget, really, that this good news of great joy for all people comes through a very young girl that had a gate in the temple that said, if you're a woman, you can't cross it. So what do we do in our world today? What do we do with this Christmas message today when we in our world still set up different gates and barriers for one another? How do we have to be reminded Because sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, we can be more like Zechariah. We're the ones that we know the story, and we're going about our religious lives, and we're doing all the things that we're doing. What would happen if an angel shows up to give us a message? Obviously, we would freak out like Zechariah and Mary, and after we've calmed down, would we be able to get it? But it's the young girl that does. It's the nobody that gets it. Jesus now comes to us. And Luke starts his story in a temple. Now it foreshadows the role that Jesus, our great high priest, will play for us. But it starts with a priest who doesn't get it. Who we expect should. Jesus, our great high priest, 
goes to the temple in his public ministry and he drives out the money changers. You remember that story? Because again, what happens is we can take something that God has set up and we can make it all religious and put signs and barriers to it. And he drives out the money changers and he said, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. Remember that with, with Solomon? He, he echoes back to that. It's a house of prayer for not just Solomon, what, what the prophet talked about, Isaiah, a house of prayer for all nations. But you've turned it into a den of robbers. You remember what a den is, by the way, friends? It's not the place where the robbers rob. It's the place where they come and hang out. Where Jesus is basically saying, you think you could treat this place, this temple, as you could go and act however you want to act, and then you come in here for a safe refuge? No. Every stone of this building is going to be unturned. The temple is not a place for God's spirit just to reside in, in a building. Jesus is going to become for us the one who shows us. The Lord descends into his temple. How will he do that now? Other than now, the spirit of God resides in you. You are the temples now. You are the temples of God's spirit, that the same spirit who spoke through the prophets will speak through you. The same spirit that brought life will give your mortal body life as well, will quicken it. And Jesus is the one who comes to give us peace. That's what the Apostle Paul talks about, that Jesus is our peace and he takes within himself in Ephesians chapter two, two groups. Oh, there we go. Hey, look at that. He takes it into himself for he's our peace. And he takes two groups and he makes them into one and he destroys the barrier. He knocks down the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. That's how you make peace. That's how you do it. Let me just, let me do, that's enough. I'll stop there. Paul, when he wrote those words to the Ephesians, he, he goes on to say, I think in the fourth chapter, where he says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. And he's writing to the Ephesians. I'm a, as a prisoner for the Lord, I write unto you, and he talks more about this stuff. You know, you know why Paul was thrown in jail in the first place? Because people saw, and it, it's not a true story, by the way. It was a false claim. But they drew up a false claim against Paul, saying that he brought a foreigner into the temple. They said, throw him in jail. There's so much of what we do in today's world that is just so ridiculous. That's why I love the carol writer says, in his temple, he's going to appear. Right? We, we are the saints. I mean, think about Zechariah, who's literally at the altar, watching long with hope and fear. And here comes an angel. Here comes now what would happen if the Lord comes to us as well as those who are going about our religious lives. We wait and we long and hope and fear. And suddenly, what if the Lord comes to us? In his temple, he draws near. He comes to us. What will we do? How will we respond? What will we make of our world? How will we break down the dividing walls of hostility of the two groups that we've made? How will we make peace? For Jesus said himself, blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called children of God. 
That is our work as God's children to be agents of peace, agents of grace, to tear down the walls that, by the way, we put up. We're the ones who create the gates and make the signs. We're the ones who say, how far can this person go? How far are you allowed to go? And the Zacharias in all of us miss it. No, no, no. The story of Christmas is a story about good news of great joy for all people, about a God who comes to nobodies, to young girls who get it. She gets it. Why is it so powerful that Mary gets it? Because we just read about a half of a chapter about a guy that we thought should have gotten it, but didn't. It's not just a story of hope and love and joy. It's a story of peace. It's a sobering story for us that maybe we're the ones who've caused the pain. We're the ones who've created the divide. We're the ones who've built the wall. We're the ones who put up the gate and made the signs. And if Christ is our peace and he breaks down those things that the very spirit of God in us and through us, will it not be peacemaking? Will it not be those who tear down the walls? This is what we're called to do, friends. This is the work that we're called to do this Christmas. And peace isn't just about the nice, warm feeling that we get. Peace is about making it. It's about bringing it into our world. And it may just have to be the nobodies among us that get it. Let us pray. We thank you for a young girl that got it, that said yes. We pray, Lord, that this Christmas we might be aware, we might come with expectation and anticipation of what you want to do in us so that when we hear your good news, we might not be so afraid, we might not be so wondering or doubtful or desire surety or assurance of this news. But when we can say yes, as Mary said yes, what transformation might come into our world in the way that she brings life. So you desire to come and give life to us, for we are now the very temple of which you reside, not in a building with walls and gates and signs, but now in our very hearts of flesh. So if we have a heart of stone today, break it down, that we might feel, that we might love, that we might give. For the nobodies in our world, we thank you that they lead the way and they show us how to say yes. Lord, take our yeses today for your purpose. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.